Hey, folks, if you've been tuning in over the last couple of months, you've heard all about the game timeout, how you can save you some serious cash on last-minute tickets to sports, concerts, all types of shows. I like it. I like to get it. Listen, there's nothing more satisfying than getting a great deal and going and enjoying a concert or a game. And you go there, and you know, you're know you sitting there, and you're watching it, you're enjoying it, and you're saying, you know what? I didn't have to sell my firstborn child or any sort of... Uh, uh, limb or remortgage a house to witness this. I can watch this and just enjoy it and know that I got a great deal. And that is what you can do on the Game Time app. They're going to hook you up for the holidays too. $10 credit. Here's what to do. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or the App Store. Click on the My Tickets section of the app. Create an account. And then under the billing section, redeem code the Athletic. No space. The Athletic. One word. Again, that's the Athletic, for $10 off your first purchase. That's free money. Credit only available to the first 1,000 people who redeem the code. And it expires at the end of the year. So if you're sitting there at New Year's Eve and you're still looking for tickets, you better hurry. That's December 31st, 2019. So make your moves quick. Score last-minute tickets on the Game Time app. Hello once again. Welcome to a uh, Sunshine State edition of PFL Pod for Life Tennessee Football Podcast. I am your host, David Ubbin, coming to you from Jacksonville, Florida, site of the Gator Bowl. And Joe Rexrode, my co-host, he got lost. He ended up in uh, Venice, Florida, a little south of Tampa. <laughs> uh, but Joe, welcome, welcome to the show. Hopefully, you can make it by game time. Uh, it's a it's a long walk, but if you leave now, I think you'll be okay. Yeah, the traffic in this state's a little bit problematic. I've uh, I've really gotten a great feel for that lately, David. And I just took a flight from here to Houston and back. So um, there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on in the sports scene these days. <laughs> it always seems like uh, whether it's like fantasy football or the NFL, like the last couple weeks, and then you have the bowls, and everything is just like kind of jammed together and mishmashed with the holidays, and uh, it's a uh, it's a it's a weird time of year, uh, and certainly a a little bit of a weird feel uh, here in Jacksonville. You know, Tennessee got started on Sunday. Joe, I'm not feeling this game. I gotta tell you, I'm not feeling it. Uh, I'll get into that. What, what are, what are, as the as Tennessee's Gator Bowl inches closer? What, where are you at on this one? I think I'm feeling it more than you are. I mean, I, I think <laughs> I, I'm wondering, David, if you are suffering from front of the jersey syndrome right now with Hoosiers, <laughs> which, like, you know, Indiana basketball, that might be like, you know, you know teams intimidated or duke you know across the front i think you're seeing the indiana across the front of football jerseys and saying yeah i just i don't know but i i think this is going to be a fun game i think it's going to be a fun game i i think just it feels kind of meaningless to me a little bit you know i i um as you look at at this season and and you look at this game you know i asked jeremy pruitt uh on sunday you know how does the outcome of this game affect how you assess or remember the season and he didn't really answer the question but I've been thinking about that a little bit myself and I just think that that it sort of feels irrelevant in the grand scheme of things um you know bull momentum folks listen it's a myth it's not real 
It's not a thing. Let's stop with the bull momentum. That is not a real thing. Go check the numbers. Something people like to talk about, but I have no interest in writing or talking about it because it is, frankly, a myth. But this team sort of already accomplished what it's going to be remembered for this season, and that's rallying from going 1-4 and four to, to being 7-5 and five and getting to the Gator Bowl. You know, this, this week is, is a reward, and guys are happy to be here. Winning is kind of okay. I don't know that anybody's going to be super psyched about winning the Gator Bowl and beating Indiana on the way to doing it. Losing is kind of whatever. I mean, Tennessee is – they're building for the future. But getting here was the accomplishment. Getting here was doing what Tennessee, I think, will be remembered for. And I think when I look to the game, I think that's why I feel kind of eh about it. Uh, I think the game will be good. I just don't feel the impact in the, in the same way that – that uh, many of the games down the stretch of the season that were probably worse games, they felt like they meant a, a lot more. And, and I don't know, you know, this team, you know, is happy to be here, and you have a, the majority of the roster has never been to a bowl game, and they're enjoying themselves. And, and this game, they're this game means something to them. But as just a general grand scheme of the program, it, it feels kind of uh, not real impactful. That's where I'm at on this. Yeah, well, look, I don't disagree with that. Um, you know, I think I, I do think that bowl games. I think fans remember bowl games, um, even when they are, you know, maybe not the biggest bowl games. I think I think just because of they're they're isolated a little bit, and usually you're playing a, a, a team that you don't play very often. And I think, I think people still remember, or you know, there may be a winning or losing play in this game that people still think of, you know, years from now. So I do think bowl games resonate more than maybe even you realize at the time but i think what you're talking about also david maybe just a little bit more of this playoff impact on how we view college football because like even there's some really good matchups you know i mean like the rose bowl is a really good matchup i like the sugar bowl but it just all feels so secondary now and before, when, even when it was a BCS championship game, you knew you had that, but those other BCS games seemed really huge. And now it really does feel like it's just there's four teams, and that's what everyone talks about all the time and nothing else. And I feel like the whole bowl experience has been knocked down a couple pegs because of it. I may be wrong about that, but that's just how it feels to me. You may be right, and I, I also think – and maybe this is just me. I hate, hate, hate when the the semifinals are before a lot of the other major bowl games. I know it was a calendar quirk this yeah. year. I I hate the New Year's Eve more than I more than I hate that. But it feels like you you're watching you know a group of five teams or six and six teams play, and then all of a sudden you're like flipped into hyperspeed and watching Clemson and Ohio State just like go at it two of the best teams that we've seen in quite some time and and uh and now when you when that's out of the way the 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 Rose Bowl like you're saying the Sugar Bowl even the bigger bowl games feel like lesser I like it when those are like the appetizers are like oh these are great games but the main course is still ready to come it's like eating a steak dinner and then somebody sort of bringing out a salad to you and you're kind of like ah, I would have liked that you know an hour ago now right now I I think I'm just gonna chill you know <laughs> yeah no that's that's fair I agree it, it's hard and then you're right the New Year's Eve is the worst but it, it is strange, all of it. And you tweeted this, and, and this is always true, no matter what the situation is with 
college football in the bowls. But like, what what day is today? I don't know. Like, what day is it? Yeah. I don't know what day it ever is around now. Uh, but yeah, you know, it is. I don't. I don't know if. I don't know if like if, if I'm overstating what the playoff has done. I do think that if you expand the playoff more, you have more of a threat to the relevance of bowl games. Um, but you know, as far as if you're, if you're looking at Tennessee, I agree with you that like this season, the story of this season basically has been written. I agree. I mean, um, nothing in this game is going to, is going to change that significantly. I mean, if you want to talk about football importance here, the importance is in the, the last couple weeks, the practices that they've been able to get in that they weren't able to do, get in last year. I mean, that's, but that's not exciting to talk about, right? I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> to watch that and, stuff. But that's where there's value. And we don't see those. But it's funny, you know, even days after tweeting that, I actually texted my wife yesterday, you know, how did you – how was your day off? And she's like, what are you talking about? It's Sunday. It's Sunday. But I'm out – <laughs> even even though the NFL is still going, I'm out at, like, Tennessee practice, and obviously I'm never out there on a Sunday. It's, it's, it's odd. Uh, but while I was out there – couple interesting dynamics uh Jared Garantano the Chubbs era has come to an end he uh he's still a little nervous <laughs> with that with the left hand uh, but he still has a glove on but the brace is gone he can be a little bit more mobile a little bit more flexible that can only help um you know especially uh as you talk about you know Tennessee's tendencies to to not run right very often uh where he's got a handoff mm-hmm. just with that left hand um, we saw a little bit of that uh late in the season um, but Garantano, you know, we've kind of talked about his future, but it's odd that for all the hand wringing and carousel and uh, passing the mantle to Brian Mauer, <laughs> Brian Mauer that has happened this season, we're here the last game of the season, and Garantano is sort of your, you know, uh, ride or die quarterback at the moment, and uh, he may be that guy again next year. I don't think Pruitt will commit to him quite as. Uh, explicitly as he did this year, but I'll be surprised if he doesn't come back and, and start. What what do you make of, of uh, where Garantano sort of sits right now and, and his ride to, you know, his, his bumpy ride to uh, Placid Waters here in Jacksonville? Well put, Placid Waters. I like that. Um, <laughs> that's why we get know, paid the big bucks for Joe. <laughs> that's right, you wordsmith, you. Um, yeah. You know, I, well, we've talked a lot about this journey, and it really is a, unique. I mean, I, I can't recall many stories like this that have been so all over the place, even within one year. And I think you and I, are, we're going to disagree to some extent on this, you know, into camp. Um, I, I do think, like you, that he will end up starting next season. He will be the starter when, when the season opens. But I also think that, it's, I think the competition will be more than just, um, you know, just coach speak in, in the offseason, too. I think, you know, I, I think the, the young guys um, should look at it like, hey, you know, y- you can make up a lot of ground. I think Maurer is around, you know, that, that offseason of, you know, absorbing film and, and just getting the mental aspects of the position down. I think he can make up a lot of ground. And um, I, I think, I think, Pruitt and his staff, Jim Cheney, I think they'll have an open mind on this more than just the, okay, this is our guy, senior quarterback, and, you know, hey, we want we want to motivate these other guys to, to try and all that, but we know we're going with Jarrett. I'm, I'm sure they think they're going with Jarrett, and that's probably how it'll turn out, but 
I, I do think that there will be an open mind to, hey, if someone just comes out here and just lets it rip and, and blows blows us out of the water, then, hey, you know, we may have to adjust. I think there's a little bit more of an open feel about this quarterback position than you do, I think, and then maybe a lot of people do. Joe, do you hear that? I think that's uh, the faint rumblings of Harrison Bailey's music you're alluding to. We we we, we shall see if uh, if that uh, if that is the future. Uh, you know, as far as the game on Thursday, there again, you go. We're, we're struggling. We're gonna get it. I've been just been referring to dates because I, I I'm just guessing pretty much every yes. time. <laughs> I, I don't, you know, this will be, you know, we talked a little bit about the uh, the pace issues and, and some of the matchups. I don't find it, it's not as contrasting of styles where you have, like, uh, you know, I was really disappointed that we didn't get uh, that LSU-Oklahoma State game back in 2011. You had that super mm. uh, hyper Oklahoma State offense against a lockdown LSU defense that couldn't really move the ball. Those are the games that I find, like, the most interesting um and and i don't think this is quite obviously not in quality but in terms of contrast it's not quite that different but like the uh that air force washington state game i fell asleep late in the fourth quarter of that game i think i had to fly the next day i forget again the days of the week are escaping me but the true the air raid versus the triple option the 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 greatness of bowl games but this will be a little bit different when you look at this game what what excites you about this matchup? I, I I agree that I think I'm excited to see if there's a couple plays in this game that we remember because I think when you look back on the season, the only games I'm gonna rem- only plays I will remember from this year were the long pass play against BYU when they lost that game, the goal line stand against uh, Kentucky, and beyond that I, I'm not sure there's very many that 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 play the the uh, the touchdown throw. Uh, from Garantano to Jennings, where they both got clocked against South Carolina. I'll probably remember that one. But, I, you know, we'll see. But when you look at this game this week, what are you excited about besides hoping for another play that we will remember? Well, I mean, I think we're going to see a lot of points in this game. Um, I, I really think, you know, that Indiana – well, I, I'm very confident that Indiana is going to move the ball between the 20s. I think a lot of this game for Tennessee will be red zone defense. Um, not letting them, you know, finish those drives, you know, with, with six, making making them uh, kick field goals. But I think both teams are going to move the ball up and down the field on each other. Uh, I think I think the yardage first down numbers will be high in this game. So it'll be a, it'll be fun. Yeah, we've talked a little bit about Indiana's tempo. It's not what it used to be, but they can still go very fast. Uh, it's unfortunate we couldn't see Michael Penix Jr. in this game because he is to me. A special talent uh, and a guy I can't, I can't wait to watch him when he comes back from injury. But Peyton Ramsey's still very capable, very talented guy. They've got some terrific receivers. Stevie Scott's a really good running back. You know, I mean, I think I think this is going to be a real test for Tennessee's defense. And then on the other side, this Indiana defense is decent, but you know, it, it's and it's better than most Indiana defenses. In most years, uh, but Tennessee's still going to be able to do what it wants to do. If Garantano, gosh darn, I just said Garantano, David. I'm sorry. I'm just going to start calling him. Jer- I'm just going to start calling him Jergare. Can we? Has anybody called him Jergare? Because then that would take uh, away the. Whole I'll, I'll stand for it. I think uh, I, I've loved the Chubbs era, but I think I guess we could turn the page from Chubbs to Jergare. Sure, why not? It's a free country. All right, we'll go Jergare. If he play, it plays well. Um, <laughs> 
you know, I don't think I don't know that Indiana can can keep up on the scoreboard here because Tennessee is going to be able to get offense, establish itself, and have the edge. And I think the running game uh, will be there, and the play action game will be there. But I, I, the most exciting thing to me is I think we're going to see a lot of offense. And I agree with you. I love the con- contrast of styles in these games, and there is some of that here. But I also really just prefer 38-35 to 17-13 in a ball game. I'm with you, and as we uh, shift to Jeremy Pruitt's favorite part of this podcast, I'm sure he's a weekly listener. Recruiting, Joe, we're in the <laughs> home stretch of uh, really the final sort of kick, I guess, of, of 2020. You know, this is always really interesting because I, I wrote about this dynamic actually a couple years ago, uh, or maybe it was, I don't remember which year it was, but I've written about this, this sort of weird um, limbo that, okay, so you have the 80, 85% of guys in a given class that sign. You look at the top 100 on all the recruiting rankings, and I think probably 85, 90 of those guys have signed. And then there's those 10, and you get this like hyper-focus on these guys. Uh, and I wrote about the experience of some of those guys who don't sign. It kind of sucks for them. Like They, they get like, ha- like it's absolutely hammered with uh, with calls, and it, it just ramps up because everybody's like, oh, we got to fill spots. We got a shot at this guy, and certainly at this point, the majority of, of coaching's efforts uh, recruiting are focused on 2021. But there's still a lot of big fish out there, big fish out there. For Tennessee, you have Jay Hardy, who hasn't really given a lot of signs that he is not signing with Auburn, but he wants to sign with his teammates. And uh, for him, you know, the Chattanooga uh, kid, a defensive lineman, and one of the top 100 guys in the uh, in the country. Not signing in December, certainly a win for Tennessee uh, as they can sort of try to needle their way in there. Darnell Washington, one of the uh, 10 best players in the country, tight end, he says he has signed but has secretly not said who it is. I think that's probably Georgia. Uh, I'm shocked it has not leaked. I wrote about that a little bit in the mailbag this week, uh, but he will be announcing, uh, I believe on Saturday, um, his destination at the uh, all-american game um and then uh you have of course uh tennessee trying to flip uh another offensive lineman uh from georgia broderick jackson uh they failed on tate ratledge but again another guy that did not sign and, and you only have these couple guys what what do you make of of the final you know we're obviously not uh soothsayers in terms of, of predictions on that front but what do you make of of this sort of period where you do have that hyper focus on the handful of guys in tennessee you know if they go 0 for 3 on those guys which they might i think it can still be a, it's a solid class you know uh your 24 7 composite ratings or top 15 that's seventh in the sec but like we've said on this podcast before i think once you get outside the top five classes that six to 15 range is not gigantic but what do you make of, of this kind of weird now, like, recruiting playoffs where, like, you have a couple big fish that everybody's chasing um, and, and you don't really know what's going on? Yeah, well, you, you just said the word. It's also just, just like the, how the bowl season feels different. This, this is weird, too. It's weird. And, uh, you know, now, if you go back to the old signing day before this, of course, you still often had – um, big, big fish holding out until the very end. Now, of course, the cynic might say, you know, 
people holding out to the end. That sounds like a bidding war, you know, going on to down to the very end of the, you know, of the process. Uh, but regardless of what is incredibly annoying, but, um, you know, obviously some kids enjoy that stuff. Uh, so, you know, to me, I, I do think it's got to be so focused on 21 um but you've got to prioritize i guess and really like who, who do we really have a chance if you're you know tennessee or whoever like who do we really have a chance at um now and and what can you know what, what kind of ground can you make up in, in in this time period you know um so you're sort of you're sort of split i guess you're sort of always you know you're you're, you're always you have a board for different classes you always have your mind on more than one class but it is still a little strange that you you actually, you know, have most of your class taken care of. I guess in some ways you could look at it like when it was everyone, you had you also had to worry about making sure your solid commitments were still solid, you know, making sure you, you're kind of shepherding the entire class to that February 2nd date or whatever it was, first mm-hmm. week of February. Now at least you do have, you know, like you have peace of mind on most of your class and you know that you're going to be – you know, if you're Tennessee, you've got a good class. So uh, that that would actually, I would really like to read a David Oven piece on um, like the time devotion in this new system and and how uh, staff is deployed differently. Because I, I don't know. I think it's 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 really interesting and uh, you know, an interesting question. You know, how has this changed how they go about their daily business from a recruiting perspective? Joe, out here handing out good story ideas for free. Hopefully, none yes. of the competition is listening to the show. <laughs> I may have to do that. That's a good <laughs> idea. Uh, Joe, a, a hard right turn into the land of breakfast food, a place I am obviously very familiar <laughs> with. Uh, Joe, I got some French toast thoughts. Uh, so I, I did a lot of a lot of uh, research, obviously, into food. I'm gonna be here for a week, so I know I gotta I gotta make the most of it. Well, yesterday I ended up at Metro Diner. Uh, Joe, listen, the strength of any French toast is the custard. If you can get a strong flavor custard, that's gonna permeate everything that you've got. Well, I ended up Metro Diner has a um, croissant French toast. Now, your bread base mm. is very interesting. I find the brioche to be a little too sweet for my taste. Uh, but the croissant was fantastic. Got a side uh, bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit, which was great. Uh, but Metro Diner, listen, that was one of the best French toasts I have uh, I have ever had. Um, the custard flavor, I mean, man. I, I generally think the floor of French toast, as long as you don't burn it, is pretty high. Um, but I, Metro Diner was, was knocking on the ceiling. If any Tennessee fans are coming into town and they're looking for a, a spot to grab uh, uh, to grab a, a breakfast somewhere, man, Metro Diner was fantastic. A little bit of a wait, uh, possibly. Granted, I was going at, like, peak Sunday brunch time, but uh, strong effort. Uh, I enjoyed my, my time there. Uh, you've got some French toast tales of your own, Joe. What, uh, please, please, please elaborate. Yeah, it's amazing that we both have French toast stories. Now, I want to I make sure here. Have, have, I have not talked about Phyllis Pratt's French toast on this podcast before. I don't I do think so. I, I'm sure I would have remembered this. 
Well, it's very timely because just this morning I actually – so I did. I, I flew in from Houston from the Titans-Texans game back here to – uh, to Florida, Venice. We, uh, my family and I were all at my, at my grandmother's house in Venice. And Phyllis Pratt, 91 years old, uh, best person ever, um, she makes uh, many things that are great, but her French toast is like the family. It's like the family legend, you know? And so my daughter, who is nine, has become obsessed with trying to figure out what is the secret ingredient. Like, what? Because I'm like, I know my grandma tells us what's in it, but I know there's something else. So today I get home. Or I get you know back from the flight, and my daughter pulls me aside and said, "She put salt in it." She like whispered <laughs> it to me. So, so, <laughs> so we may have found. But the, it's very simple. And, and one key ingredient with this is that the the bread should be a little bit stale. I'd never knew yes. that before. Leave it out but overnight. Yeah, so that's a big thing. And then you know, it's just Crisco for days. I mean, the Crisco usage is is off the charts. Mm. Uh, it, it's very simple. But man, it is uh, like it's just—it's amazing stuff. And you can, you know, I, I don't—I I can't tell you. I've had some legendary eating moments with that French toast. So your French toast sounded very good, but also fancy. Uh, it sounds like a good place. It was more um, down home than you'd think. It was very much a okay. diner. It was not like a—it was not like a hoity-toity interpretation of a diner. It was just a diner. <laughs> it was good. It was good. That's cool. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I feel like I make a pretty mean French toast myself. Um, my wife has, I have burnt her out on French toast because like Saturdays during the off season, if I'm chilling, I'll just make some French toast and some, and some bacon. And, uh, I'll be like, Hey, do you want some for years? The answer has been a hard no. (laughs) So sorry. I did. I did. I have gotten a decent amount of shrimp and seafood, um, on the trip. I went with, uh, uh, the Knoxville News Sentinels, Blake's Blake Topmeyer on uh, Monday night uh, or Sunday night. Sorry, I told you guys. Uh, got to went to, ended up <laughs> ended up at, at uh, marker thirty two. I got a, a really good uh, scallop plate. Uh, you know, I listen. I have too much sense and respect for myself to order scallops inside the state of Tennessee. But if I'm down here, I'll get some. <laughs> and uh, they weirdly oh, yeah. had like seared. One of, uh, some of them were seared, like, well-seared, but, like, on the side, like, not on the flat top of the scallop, which was weird. But they had grits made with a shrimp broth, which was great. Mm. And then I don't particularly love collard greens, and I replaced them with some new potatoes. Maybe it was a little too soft as a whole meal. There could have been some some textural uh, uh, diversity, probably. But uh, it was great. Uh, so Tennessee fans, again. Marker 32, I give it my my recommendation uh, as well. Uh, Joe, before we get out of here, any anything uh, anything else we should we should know, or anything that uh, you have eaten lately that we need to we need to spotlight? Well, a lot of good seafood. Um, I can't think of. I actually had scallops, also a scallop dish that was sort of like oysters Rockefeller, um, you know, with spinach and the cheese, which I'd never mm, had before. It was really good. Yeah, no, it was very good. Uh, but I've got to ask you. I, I've got to finish. David, by asking you, have you had the Arnold's collard greens? Uh, I have not. Okay, I, I think you you've got to you've got to try that because they are the best I've ever had, um, and and they might they, they might flip you around. That's interesting. I haven't had a ton of them. My in laws make them, and, and they're okay. But I'm not like I'm not like into it. I did enjoy uh, a couple quick things. I did have a. Have you ever heard a taiyaki fish waffle? 
<laughs> no, but it sounds amazing. So it's not actually fish. It's in the shape of a fish. It's like a Korean thing. But they make these waffles, and they're filled with something. It was not the best thing I've ever eaten, but I enjoyed the novelty of it. Um, but I did live out a dream on Saturday night. Uh, I got into Jacksonville, texted a friend of mine who was, who was in town, and I, I said, I'm going to the beach. I'm going to watch the playoff on the beach. I ran into an issue, though, Joe, and that is that at Jacksonville Beach, there are very few places where one can see the ocean and also watch the playoff. As a matter of fact, there was only uh, there was only one, and it was a Joe's Crab Shack. I, are you the part owner? <laughs> I'm not sure. Do you have any stake in that? Uh, is that your personal Crab Shack? Uh, but well, I, mean, I don't I don't know who Joe is, but it sounds like a really nice standalone <laughs> place. Yeah, exactly. So I posted a picture, and I was getting roasted by people. Oh, you go out of town. You're gonna get... Listen, man, I wanted to live out a dream, and if that means I have to go to Joe's Crab Shack and uh, and eat a little shrimp and some crab dip, uh, listen, I'm, it's fine. It is what you gotta it is. Get I, I greatly enjoyed it. Listen, that was a very enjoyable place to watch the playoff, even though the game, uh, at least the first one where I watched it, was, was terrible. But listen, watching the playoff, while seeing and hearing the ocean and feeling the sea breeze, it was even though it was a little overcast, it was like 75 and a nice little jacket. It was one of the better playoff uh, watching experiences I've ever had. Other than, I think I tweeted, other than the press box or the sideline, uh, that was uh, the best place I have watched the playoff. Who knows, Joe? Maybe wow. Tennessee will be there in uh, you know a couple of years. I'm not holding my breath on that, but hey, you never know. You don't People know. People said the same thing about LSU or, or Michigan State. Maybe another day. <laughs> No, there's no doubt. Think about LSU's offense not very long ago, and look at it now. Yep, yep. Even with guys like Jarvis Landry and uh, Jeremy Hill and OD, uh, OBJ, they were not anything close to what they are right now. So that will do it for this week's show. Thanks for tuning in to PFL. Uh, I am, again, your host, David Ubbin. If you like the show, rate, uh, review, subscribe on the Apple Podcast app. For my co-host, Joe Rexrode, again. I'm David Oven. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting the show. We'll see you guys again very soon. I'll be here in Jacksonville all week, so follow our coverage on theathletic.com. Thanks. Thanks.